and welcome to A Path to Redemption, the podcast. My name is Daniel Arona, and just remember this simple truth. The Father loves you, Jesus loves you, and the Holy Spirit loves you. Once again, I hope that you've had a great week. I hope that you've had time to spend with the Lord in prayer and are really seeking Him out right now. Again, I cannot tell you how short the time is, and I know I say it every week, but it really truly is. I truly believe that this whole thing is wrapping up here soon and that we are going to be called to be with Christ um, here any day. And I just think that that as we go forward and as we see things happening in the world, it's going to be so important for us to stay as close to him as we possibly can. So this week, we're going to continue on with our look at Genesis. Again, we're talking about the first six chapters of Genesis. Um, there's roughly 1,696 years uh, kind of jam-packed into these into this time frame here. And we're going to look at Cain and Abel today. So we're going to move into Genesis chapter 4. But before we get there, just a couple of housekeeping items. Once again, all of our scripture comes from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you'd like a New King James Bible, just feel free to drop me a note at Path to Redemption Ohio at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to get one into your hands. Also, my book is still out there, uh, Grace Abounds. If you'd like a copy of that, feel free to drop me a note at Path to Redemption Ohio at gmail.com. And then finally, again, don't take my word for any of this. Make sure you're studying to show yourself approved. Um, make sure that you're putting in the work as well and really praying and seeking what God has for you. Um, through this teaching, because I can tell you everything that's happening. I can tell you things that are going on, just like the the European um, digital identity that's coming out that they want to push out in 2024. Some of the aggressive things from the World Economic Forum coming in 2030 or that they're targeting for 2030. Um, there's a lot of things happening right now that are going on that are setting a stage for a beast system. And check your, watch it, look for it. Um, it's all out there. It's in plain sight. They're not hiding any of this. Um, so it's important for us to watch and pray, watch and pray that we may be counted worthy enough to escape was coming because at the end of the day that's the whole point i want as many people ready to be that end time church ready to, to pr- pronounce their faith ready to walk through whatever's going to come until christ ultimately calls his saints amen so if you remember last week we really talked about the we wrapped up genesis 3 and we talked about the the curses that were there for adam eve and then ultimately the serpent and we really wrapped up um what what the whole purpose of it was, what the fall really represented, and how it began the birth of iniquity. And I think that I cannot ex- express this enough, that iniquity was put into Adam and Eve through Lucifer based upon the fall of Lucifer. And we've talked about that as well when we looked at, at the, the, the fall from Lucifer's perspective. But this week, we're going to look at how quickly iniquity grew. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis 4, the beginning of it is is really about Cain and Abel. And it's about the, the death of Abel and obviously the murder that Cain did. But there's a lot of things that led up to that point. So let's go ahead and let's jump in. So Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 5 says this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So here we are once again, Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden and now must go forward with life, understanding the fall that they had and how they betrayed the Lord's trust. Eventually they have 
children. The first is Cain. And, and I want to take a minute here and I really want to kind of kind of dive into what the names of Cain and Abel really mean, because I, I truly believe that your name carries an important connotation. I think it, it carries an important aspect of who you are and ultimately what you're going to be, which is why I, I truly believe that in going to the Lord to help name your child. Um, and that's that's actually what we do with both of our children, Isaac and Asher. But um, I think that it's important here. Um, so Cain ultimately means possession. And if you read in the scripture there, it says after he after that Cain was born, uh, Eve said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Um, and, you know, this is consistent across scripture, across the book of Jasher and across Josephus. Abel, however, means vanity. Um, the noun form of it actually means breath, but not in the way of like breathing or breathing breath into someone in terms of giving life. No, it's almost as though, you know, it's it's like a vapor, like something that is quick and, and isn't here long. And according to the book of Jasher, Eve said, in vanity we came into the earth, and in vanity we shall be taken from it. So Abel was more of a, of a picture of one, the shortness of what his life was going to be, but mainly about the vanity, about how pride had reached into them, about how iniquity had reached into them, right? And I think that that's a key thing as we kind of go forward here, because particularly when we start looking at Abel as a picture of Christ, right? All of that was nailed to the tree through the cross of Jesus Christ when he died. So given where these two people go, I think it's interesting the, the origins of their names. Now, let's look into what happened here. During the fall, Two streams of man were created. There was one that longed for God and wanted to be with him. And there was one that was stuck in iniquity and self, right? So two types of men were created inside of man, if that makes sense. Think of it as a split personality. You know, we still, if you're a Christian today and you believe, you still struggle with your flesh. You still struggle with with maybe desires or you still struggle with thoughts or whatever that is. That is your iniquity inside of you. When you get mad because someone cuts you off while driving down the road, that's your iniquity inside you. You know, when you have certain things that, that happen and you constantly look at yourself and how you are affected, that is your iniquity inside you, not looking outward towards Christ. But then we all have this this desire for the things of Christ. We all want to hunger and thirst after his righteousness, right? And we all want, we all have that inside of us as we become saved, as we truly give our lives to him. I think about myself, like I can't read enough. I can't do enough to really kind of feel, feel satiated, if you will, from that hunger and thirst and desire for the things of God. But that really shows the dichotomy of man. We have this one half that is based on iniquity, but we have this other half that is that is shown in the righteousness of Christ, which is so important, which is why it's so important, I should say, that we are crucified with Christ so that our iniquity, our flesh can be crucified with him. And if you want more on that, then you'll have to check out uh, um, ultimately season two of, of this Path to Redemption, the podcast. But I want to look at, at the difference here because you have Cain representing the iniquity and the self, and then you have Abel representing the seeking of righteousness and the things that of God. So, so let's take a look at it a little bit deeper into these two. So Cain, first one is that Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
He worked with his own strength for the ground to for it to give up its fruit. Remember the curse in Genesis three eighteen. It, the Bible says, "Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread." And being a tiller of the ground, it comes out of the sweat and the labor as a man, meaning it comes out of the work of our own hands. It comes out of the work that we do and that we put into the ground and seeding and raising those things up, and it all comes out of our own work and our own strength and all of those things. If we did not till the ground, then the ground would not give its fruit. That's what the curse said, right? But if you look here, the the Josephus is actually going to give us a little bit more color around who Cain was and he, that he was focused on getting. And in the Antiquities of the Jews, book one and chapter two and verse one says, but Cain was not only very wicked in other respects, but was wholly intent upon getting. And he first contrived to plow the ground. Focused on getting is a focus on self. It is a sign of the iniquity of man. And we'll kind of see this as we kind of talk forward and as we go forward into, into as it was in the days of Noah. So why is that important? Because as you focus on getting, as you focus on, on getting more, gathering more, sometimes at the, at, at the, the hurt of other people, you know, that is iniquity being fulfilled in you. You're focused more on yourself than you are looking on the outward things of God and the things that God wants. So now let's look at Abel. Abel was a shepherd. He was a keeper of the sheep. Abel's work was not about his own hands, but it was about what tending what God had created. It looked outward to God. Think about it in us, right? When we start to do things according to the work of our own hands, it's going to die. But ultimately, when we tend and take care of the things that God is progressing and the things that God is doing, then we begin to see it prosper, right? Josephus says this, it says, Now the two brethren were pleased with different courses of life, for Abel, the younger, was a lover of righteousness, and believing that God was present at all his actions, he excelled in virtue in his employment of of that of a shepherd. So Abel sought righteousness while Cain sought the getting or the focusing of iniquity. He focused on the things that God wanted him him to do. He focused on the things that, understanding that whatever he put his hand to, that he believed that God was there and he relied and fell back on God. Understanding this, understanding Cain's paradigm, where he's coming from, and understanding where Abel's coming from, let's look at the offerings. Let's first look at Cain's. Cain's offering was brought from the fruit of the ground. It was a work of his own hands to till the ground. Jasher 1.16 says, And unto Cain and his offering the Lord did not turn, and he did not incline to it, for he brought from the interior fruit of the ground before the Lord. This is how Josephus puts it in, in the Antiquities of the Jews. God was more delighted in the latter oblation, meaning that of, of Asher, when he was honored with what grew naturally of its own accord than he was with what was the invention of a covetous man and gotten by forcing the ground. Again, you see here, Cain basically demonstrated and pushed up his own self, the own work of his hands before God and wanted God to accept it. Now, the other thing here is that there is was no blood in that sacrifice. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Now, let's look at Abel's. Abel's was of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. As we heard in Josephus, there was nothing that Abel did other than feed and take care of the flock. 
God who created and gave it was to it was God who created and gave life to that flock, right? Also, Abel's had blood. It is impossible for there to be remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And that was the purpose of the worship of God at this time. So here you see complete dichotomy, one focused on self, one focused on this is my sacrifice. I'm going to show you of my sacrifice versus the sacrifice that God had given, the one that God had raised up and the one that God had had ultimately overseen and raised. So we see God reject Cain's offering and accept Abel's. There is a whole host of things to understand here. The first one is that God will never accept the work of our own hands as a worthy sacrifice. He will only accept that which is ordained of him, meaning that in our works, we should be led by the spirit that they may be accepted. You know, I've oftentimes heard, well, I want to do as much as I can for the Lord. I want to do this. Well, it really doesn't matter if you're doing that for the Lord or what you think is for the Lord or not, if it's not what God has asked you to do. And I'll give you a perfect example here. I was talking with a member of my congregation when I was, when I was pastoring and she had just come out of another church and she's like, you know, I was working my hands to the bone thinking I was doing it for the Lord, but in all actuality, I was doing it in my own flesh, thinking that my works were going to get me more righteousness. And if I do this, then God is going to do this for me. That's not the way it works. God wants you to seek him and then he'll give you the work that needs to be done and he will assign the work to you and he will trust you to do the work. God wants us to follow his will at all times, right? If God doesn't tell you to do something, don't do it. If God doesn't tell you to to go and minister to other people, like don't, because you'll end up creating more issues than you will if you just wait and listen to what the Spirit says. It may not be the right time. That person may not be willing to accept it at that point in time. There's a whole host of things where we've got to be led by the Spirit, and it's those works that will exceed. It's those works that'll stay. It's those works that when the fire comes, that they will stand because they are ordained by God. The second thing here is that we see the difference in the two covenants. The law, while perfect and holy, would never get man to be accepted as it was all about governing his actions. But grace, which was mediated by Christ in the shedding of his blood, would cause us to be accepted by God. God establishes here between Cain and Abel that, look, you will never get to me through your own works and through your own labor. You will only get to me by the sacrifice of the lamb, which is Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we will ever be able to get to that point and be reconciled back to God. And we see that picture here, right? And I think it's important to understand that Abel was the younger of the two. Cain was the oldest. Why is that important? Because the law was the oldest. The law was the first covenant through Moses. And then ultimately the sacrifice of Christ and grace was the second covenant. It was the new covenant that was that Christ's blood mediates to this day. The third thing we see here is that self-righteousness leads to anger and jealousy. Cain thought that he was correct. I'm going to repeat that for a second here. Cain thought that he was correct. You know, oftentimes I ask myself, Daniel, is it more important to do the right thing or to be right? And that's a check that I've got. And that's a check that God has on me. And the reason for that is because I oftentimes think, you know, yes, I could go and talk to that person and, you know, tell them they're sinning and do all this other stuff and try to minister to them that way. But at the end of the day, I could be right in that and everything I say is right. But is it the right thing to do? Because that's another soul. And if they're not ready to receive that and I'm not being led by the spirit, I'm creating worse problems for that person. And frankly, for me, than if I would just sat, kept my mouth shut and waited for the Holy 
Spirit. So Cain thought he was correct, but Cain thought that he was worthy, but he wasn't. After the fall of man, no one was worthy to be accepted. The self-righteousness made Cain's rejection that much harder for him to take, which also caused him to sin. See, self-righteousness and sitting back in self-righteousness, we oftentimes think, well, you know, I'm doing this right, I'm doing that right, blah, blah, blah. Well, it doesn't matter. If you sit back in that and, and you're not being led by the Spirit and you're judging others and you're thinking that you're right, but it, none of that really matters. What matters is how you love people. What matters is how you interact with people. But if you've ever tried to correct someone who's living in self-righteousness, what you find is that it doesn't really matter what you say from a biblical standpoint, is that they're going to reject you and they're going to get their feelings hurt about it. We saw the same thing happen with, with Christ and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? But before we get to that, I want you to see what God says to Cain, because I do think that this is material. He says in Genesis 4, 6 through 7, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Here, God is reaching out to Cain. God is always willing to reach out to us for us to repent. He wants us to turn away. He would have loved nothing better than to Cain say, you know what, Lord, you are right. Please forgive me. I'm going to go make it right with my brother. Right. But instead, you know, Cain decides to go and, and kill his brother. But before we get to that point, there's a whole host of things that happen that ramp up. And we see this in what God tells Cain. The first thing he says, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? God was addressing the iniquity in the sense of self inside of Cain. He recognized that Cain was looking inward rather than outward at him. Then the next thing he says is that if you do well, will you not be accepted? This one sacrifice was a small thing on the grand scheme of things and on the scale. And there was always a chance for Cain to, and an invitation for Cain to change, for him to repent and turn away from his wicked ways and, and do what God had asked him to do. And then the third thing that God says here is that if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. If Cain did not repent and turn away from what he was thinking and doing, then sin was at the door. Remember, it was Christ that told us that when we think the things, we commit sin in our heart. And what did he say? He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. But Jasher gives us a little bit more detail about what was in Cain's heart. Jasher 1.16 says, And unto Cain and his offering the Lord did not turn, and he did not incline to it. For he had brought from the inferior fruit of the ground before the Lord. And Cain was jealous against his brother Abel on account of this, and he sought a pretext to slay him. Here we see the thoughts and the intent of Cain's heart, and it was ultimately to slay his brother. By the time that this happened, the the self-righteousness had come to play, the pride, the self of the aspects of iniquity had already been come to play. They'd already been going up into Cain's heart up until this time, until finally he's like, you know what, I'm gonna kill him. And ultimately that's what he does. 
right? And I want to stop here for a second because we see the same thing happen with the Pharisees and Sadducees with Christ. Christ was the lover of righteousness, but the Pharisees and Sadducees, that of self-righteousness, self, and iniquity. They sought an opportunity to slay Christ just as Cain did. It's for this reason that Jude warns us not to fall into the same sin as Cain. It's part of what led to the crucifixion of Christ. Now, why is that important? Because iniquity, self-righteousness, pride, self, all will lead us to have these types of thoughts. And maybe it's not that we're going to kill someone, but maybe it's going to be that we'll ruin their reputation, or we'll start sowing seeds of discord about them, or we'll start telling lies about them, or we'll start doing whatever it is that it's going to ruin them, right? So that we can then be elevated in their place. That's the fall of Cain. You know, there's a there was a, a minister that preached a very, very good message called It's Illegal to Eat Eagle, basically talking about how Christians have a tendency to go after each other when they feel that God is blessing them, another Christian and not them, or that they're being elevated in the church and not them. And it's important for us to stay humble and not go after that same exact error that Cain went. Now, all of this leads up until the death of Abel, right? Genesis 4, 8 says, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. But the book of Jasher, once again, again, it's not inspired scripture, but it, it is a history book and it gives us an, a little bit of additional context. In Jasher 1, 17 through 25, this is what it says. And in some time after Cain and Abel, his brother went one day into the field to do their work. And they were both in the field, Cain tilling and plowing his ground, and Abel feeding his flock. And the flock passed that part which Cain had plowed in the ground, and it sorely grieved Cain on this account. And Cain approached his brother, Abel, in anger, and said to him, What is there between me and you, that you come to dwell and bring your flock to feed in my my land? And Abel answered his brother Cain, and said unto him, What is there between me and you? that you shall eat the flesh of my flock and clothe yourself with their wool. And now therefore put off the wool of my sheep with which you have been clothed yourself and recompense me for the fruit of fruit and flesh, which you have eaten. And when you have done this, I will then go from your land as you have said. And Cain said to his brother Abel, surely if I slay you this day, who will require your blood from me? And Abel answered Cain saying, surely God who has made us in the earth He will avenge my cause and he will require my blood from you should you slay me. For the Lord is the judge and arbiter, and it is he who will requite man according to his evil and the wicked man according to the wickedness that he may do upon earth. And now, if you should slay me here, surely God knows your secret views and will judge you for the evil which you did declare to do unto me this day. And when Cain heard the words of Abel, his brother had spoken. Behold, the anger of Cain was kindled against his brother Abel for declaring this thing. And Cain hastened and rose up and took the iron part of his plowing instrument, with which he suddenly smote his brother and he slew him. And Cain spilt the blood of his brother Abel upon the earth, and the blood of Abel streamed upon the earth before the flock. So you see here what actually led up and what happened between Cain and Abel from the book of Jasher. Now, this was exactly one generation from the iniquity that was placed in Adam and Eve. And I can't really emphasize that more than, than what I did. 
Because when you think about this, Adam and Eve had been out of the garden. They had been kicked out. Iniquity had been placed in them. And it took one generation, one generation of man in order for him to kill his brother. That's how bad the iniquity is in us. You know, people say that, oh, well, I'm not going around killing and raping and doing all these things because I have a conscience. And I would argue, no, what you have is you have societal norms that have developed your conscience around that. If man is given completely over to his own devices and over to the reprobate mind, as it talks about in Romans 1, this is the type of thing that you see. You see the fullness of iniquity come into Cain. You see him completely self-indulged, completely self, self-focused, self ultimately to the point where he kills his brothers, hoping that maybe one day he will be elevated over him, right? And how many times do we do that? Maybe not physically kill, but like I said, you know, destroy reputations or say things or sow discords or any of those types of things inside the church. You see, all of that comes with a with a price. All of that happens and will be repaid according to by the Lord. So it's important for us as we understand this, not to go in the way of Canaan, for us to deal with our iniquity through the cross of Jesus Christ. By offering ourselves that living sacrifice, allow him as our high priest to carve us up, to get rid of the parts that do not go, can that do not basically coincide with who he is, do not conform with the picture of Jesus Christ, and ultimately be resurrected and into being conformed with him, right? We need those pieces taken out of us because if we stay attuned to our flesh, we are far away from Christ. Even though we may be saved and even though we may be we may have salvation, if we don't allow Christ to be Lord over our lives and take off the things that that he does not want in us, it's going to cause us issues down the road. But iniquity unchecked in one generation led to Cain to kill Abel. Now again, also a picture of the the self-righteous killing Christ, also a picture of the two covenants, whole host of different things that are going on here. But if we understand how bad iniquity was in one generation, how bad would it have gotten when you had all the way down to 10 generations, which was what Noah was to Adam. And I want you to think about that before we go into next week, because next week we're going to talk about Abel or Cain's response to the slaying of his brother. We're talking about how God handled it. And then we're going to talk about, about what the ramifications are and what that looks like. So look, I hope you got something out of this. I, I hope this is this teaching is helpful because if we understand how iniquity built up into the days of Noah, we can understand how iniquity is building up into the current day and how flesh is taking over. I mean, there really is no universal morality anymore because all the scripture has been kicked out of everywhere. Prayer has been kicked out of everywhere. I mean, even in in the UK, you can't pray outside of an abortion clinic silently with just your head bowed anymore. So a woman got arrested for doing that. So as you kind of think through this again, I mean, it, all of this is ramping up until the fullness of iniquity comes, until the fullness of wickedness comes, as talked about in the book of Zechariah, and until finally the beast system is, resur- is resurrected, frankly, and brought into the mainstream. And we're getting closer and closer every single day. 
day. So look, I hope you got something out of this. If you have any questions, feel free to drop me a note at pathtoredemptionohio at gmail.com. I am here to help. Um, again, if you want a copy of a new King James Bible or a copy of my book, just drop me a note in at my email address. I'll be more than happy to get one into your hands. But make sure that you keep watching. Make sure that you keep praying. I want everyone who listens to this to be counted worthy to escape the things that are coming. But until next time, just remember the simple truth. The Father loves you. Jesus loves you and the Holy Spirit loves you. God bless.